Hey, this is Glover Teixeira, UFC Light Heavyweight Champion. Hi, I'm Robbie Lawler. What's up, Fight Family? This is your favorite MMA coach, Tiago Alves, the Pitbull. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Pedro Munoz. This is Mike Brown. Hey, I'm Alexei Alenik. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And this is We Want One Picks. And you're watching We Want Picks. So We Want Picks. We Want Picks. So We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. Hi, everybody from America. My name's Angelo, and welcome to We Want Picks. We are coming off a few incredibly successful weeks in a row, and let's see if we can keep that train rolling. I'm going to break down the entire UFC Vegas 50 Santos versus Ankalaya fight card. I'm going to give you my picks, and I'm going to give you my bets. This is quick picks, so I'm going to try to do this in 20 minutes or less. If you want a full, detailed breakdown of every single fight, multiple points of view, and fantasy information, make sure you join our Tuesday night live streams at 8.30 p.m. Central. And if you want 50 free dollars, 5-0 free dollars, we're doing giveaways. All you need to do is go to wewantpicks.com bets, sign up with any one of our five betting partners, make a deposit, and we send you 50 bucks. There's a form right there on the website to claim your $50. It's literally that easy. Cash app, PayPal, Venmo, however you want it. We want picks.com slash bets. And this is brought to you by Bet You Play to Earn. Bet You Play to Earn is the world's first online sports and esports betting game. It's a ton of fun. Check it out at betyouearn.com. That's bet the letter U earn.com. And UFC Vegas 50 is opening up with a couple of pretty fun female fights. The first fight on the card is Sabino Mazzo versus Miranda Maverick. I said Sabino. Sabina Mazzo versus Miranda Maverick. Sabina Mazzo, she's a kickboxer. She's got great kicks. And people like to compare her to a lady crow cop because of just how powerful her kicks are. She does not have power in her hands, but definitely has power in her feet. She likes to fight at range and control the distance. And I think that's exactly what she's going to need to do here against Miranda Maverick. Because Miranda Maverick is a technical striker. She's got solid forward pressure, solid takedowns. She's very strong, and she uses that strength really well. She averages a little more than one takedown per fight with a 66% takedown accuracy and pretty good takedown defense despite what those numbers may say. Both these women are coming off two losses in a row, and I think the UFC is trying to figure out who to keep and who to cut. But if you look at those losses, they're not the same. Miranda has that loss to Macy Barber which was an absolute robbery. She won that fight. And then most recently, she lost to Aaron Blanchfield, which, if anything, just showed us how tough she can be. Mazzo, on the other hand, is coming off losses to Alexis Davis, Maria Agapova, and she was just dominated in both. One, she was outstruck. One, she was outgrappled. And she just didn't have any answers in those fights. I think Miranda Maverick is too strong and has too much forward pressure for Mazzo here. I see her coming forward with strikes and pressuring in for a takedown. Pretty similar to how Alexis Davis beat her. So Miranda Maverick is definitely the pick. And I'm pretty confident in that pick here. And that takes us to J.J. Aldrich versus Jillian Anderson. And another what should be a pretty fun female fight. J.J. Aldrich, though, is a decision machine. She's a decent striker with good takedowns and great top pressure. She fights well within her skill set. And she doesn't really take any risks. She was able to bully the smaller Demopolis in her last fight. 
But that may be a little harder to do in this fight against Jillian Robertson because Jillian Robertson is a well-rounded fighter, but primarily a wrestler in the cage. She bounced back after a two-fight skid, but she has not had an easy road in the UFC with her three most recent losses being against Miranda Maverick, who we just broke down, Tyla Santos, and Macy Barber. Jillian averages almost three takedowns per fight, and I think that's very important here because not many people have that game plan against JJ. These women are pretty similarly sized on paper, but I do like Jillian to be more of a bully here and to work this to the ground. JJ's very well-rounded, but she has had some pretty favorable matchups Sure, she's faced some tough competition like Courtney Casey, like Macy Barber, and Pollyanna, but she has not fought the someone as physical as Jillian or someone who looks to wrestle as much as she does either. I like Jillian here, and I think these minus 150 odds that the bookmakers are keeping, I think those are pretty spot on. I think that's a good spot to get in on. If you also like Jillian here, I have a feeling that line's going to move and she's going to become an even bigger favorite and less affordable as the week goes on. And that takes us to a very interesting fight. We have Matt Semmelsberger versus AJ Fletcher. And I do my research before I make my pick. So I do all my research. I take all my notes. I make my pick and then I check the odds. I don't know what the odds are when I do my breakdowns because I feel like that may sway me. So after I did all of my research and the notes I'm about to read through you right now, I looked at the odds and I was like, holy crap, those are the odds? I was very caught off guard. Matt Semmelsberger is an aggressive striker who marches forward with solid leg kicks and solid body work. He has some power, but most of his finishes are with grit and pressure. The marching forward can wilt some opponents who don't like the pressure, but can also get him in trouble at times. You may see the 100% takedown defense for Semmelsberger, and I think he can keep it standing, but he also has only defended one single takedown in the UFC and that was from Carlton Minus who isn't exactly a stud wrestler. AJ Fletcher is short, jacked, and intense. He's coming off a spectacular contender series win where he won by flying KO, flying knee KO against the cage. Breaking down his film, you'll see a lot of knockouts and a lot of knockdowns, everything from head kicks to overhand rights, but he isn't a striker. He's actually a fantastic wrestler and a grappler. He does an amazing job with takedowns where he attacks on his feet and when you start firing back, he just drops his elevation and shoots in on those legs so fast with so much power and forward pressure. Once he hits the ground, he pounds away and he's so fast that any movement from his opponent ends up being an opening for him to improve position. So if you move just a tiny bit to block an elbow on its way down, he will just snatch up a head and arm, take your back, make something happen really fast. And I absolutely love AJ Fletcher here. You contender series fade people, you are going to miss out on a really nice payday if you fade AJ Fletcher here. This is definitely a big step up in competition for AJ, who has basically just destroyed local regional level competition. Matt's leg kicks can certainly be a problem for AJ, but he needs to be careful to set those up with punches before they go out there and after he lands them. Because if he just leaves lazy kicks out there or sends a kick without setting it up with strikes first or finishing it with punches, he's probably going to get taken down off of that. And if you watch AJ's tape, that's exactly when he shoots his takedowns off the forward movement from his opponents. I like AJ here. I like him to be a problem on the feet and on the ground. My only concern is his cardio 
He's only gone to a decision once in his entire career, and if you look at his frame and you look at his fight style, it doesn't exactly scream endurance. I do have a one-unit money line bet on AJ Fletcher, and I got that at plus 220. I told you, I was very surprised at these odds. I thought AJ was going to be the, the favorite here, and maybe I'm missing something. Let me know down in the comments what you guys think, what I might be missing here, because... The bookkeepers see him as a two-to-one favorite and or an underdog, and I see him as most likely he should be a minus 150 favorite here. That takes us to another grappler versus grappler type striker matchup. We've got Damon Jackson versus Kamela Kirk. Damon Jackson, he's a very good grappler, and he's an opportunistic grappler, meaning he snatches things up and scrambles instead of just plotting techniques. He's not going knee on belly to side control to mount. He's just snatching something if you move down there. He's willing to slug it out at times on his feet, and that actually could be an asset for him depending on his matchup and depending on the opponent. Kamala Kirk is a grappler with decent takedowns, but he does tend to fade later in the fight. He will get sucked into kickboxing matches where his offense is pretty technical, but he's very hittable because he keeps his hands so low. When he's striking, he does a decent job managing range and throwing out clean one-twos, but his lack of volume and his willingness to back up does get him in trouble. Both of these guys have upside-down striking differentials and are hit far more than they hit their opponents, which is always surprising for grapplers because, logically speaking, grapplers spend a good amount of time on top where they're the only ones hitting. They're not getting hit when they're on top. So anytime I see an upside-down striking differential from a grappler, it is a little bit concerning. But this is an interesting matchup because I think Damon is the better offensive wrestler. And I think he's the more technical striker as well. But Kirk has more power and Damon can be chinny at times. If Damon sticks to a grapple-heavy game plan, I think he can have success here. Just like Amir Khani was able to take down Kirk five times, I think Damon can have some of that success as well. I just worry about the chin Kirk is definitely the safe pick here, but I am going to take a chance. I'm going with Damon Jackson here, and I just hope he's diving at legs that whole time, backing Kirk up, taking shots, and not really engaging in the striking. You know, it's a, it's a worrisome pick. Damon Jackson is my pick, but, I you know, it, it's thin there. I'm not going to put a tent pole and, and put my mortgage on that for sure. And that takes us to striker versus wrestler with power in his hands, Tefan Chukwi versus Azmat Mirzakhanov. Tefan Chukwi's second fight up at light heavyweight here. So he was a big middleweight. He's moving up to light heavyweight where Azmat Mirzakhanov, he's a light heavyweight, but he has had some success at heavyweight as well. So these guys are coming from different weight classes and sort of meeting in the middle there. And we'll see when they're stacked up against each other. Tefan Chukwi is the the taller fighter, but Azmat is just, he's just a little tank, man. He's just short and thick and he's built that way. So I am very interested to see when they're actually stacked up against each other at weigh-ins for the first time. But Tafan is a good technical striker who has legit power and technique. His issue is volume and speed at times, but when he's in a rhythm, he is in a rhythm and he looks great. He showed us in his last fight against Mike Rodriguez that he isn't just a striker. He went three for three with takedowns and had five minutes of control time. Azmat Merzanakonov, Merzrezkonov is not the biggest light heavyweight in the division, but he makes up for just that that height and his physical stature with legit 
power. He is fast and he is heavy handed. He's a very good wrestler as well with solid ground and pound, but his hands are so good that he doesn't go to his wrestling very often. He had a great contender series win in the summer of 2021, but he has had a bad run of luck since then with three fights scheduled and all three opponents pulling out for various reasons. On paper, this is a really fun fight with two guys who theoretically should bang it out, but I actually think Asmat will go to his wrestling here. Tafan definitely has more high-level experience, and I do expect him to be more composed in this fight, but when the pressure is on him, he does tend to back up. He tends to slow down. He loses that volume, and I think Asmat and his brick head are just going to come forward, back Tafan up, and just go to his wrestling, which we haven't seen him do in the UFC yet, but I promise you his wrestling is there, and I do think he's going to use it in this fight. So this will be an interesting fight. And we're going to separate these two guys and really see who can make something happen in this division. That takes us to two more bangers. We got Cody Brundage and Dalcha Lungambula. Cody Brundage is coming off that loss to Nick Maximov. But that was a short notice fight. And that was his official UFC debut. He was out wrestled in that fight. But he actually has a pretty solid wrestling himself. He wrestled in college. He's had some success at that level. He's got decent chain wrestling. He throws big, heavy punches. He has had a rough run in the UFC, though, so far with a loss to William Knight on the Contender Series where he was out-wrestling William before just being blasted in the side of the head with Travis Brown-style elbows like this, and he was put out. Despite his 0-2 UFC start, Cody is actually pretty good. He uses his wrestling well, and he's always pushing forward. His striking is big, heavy shots. Again, those are mostly there just to set up his wrestling and his grappling, but it can get people to react. Dolce Lungambula is short for the division, but he is jacked, he's fast, and he's powerful. He comes forward with that insane power and really good pressure. He can also grapple when he needs to. We saw his grappling in his last fight where he had two takedowns against Marc-Andre Barolt, and in his UFC debut against Daquan Townsend, he had four takedowns before he got the eventual knockout. And this is a really tough fight to pick because both of these guys are well-rounded, but both have a somewhat clear path to victory. Cody needs to grapple, keep the pressure on, and wear out Dalcha. And Dalcha needs to throw heavy on his feet and avoid the takedowns. My biggest hesitation here and my biggest hesitation on Dalcha is that he can be low volume at time and he does have a negative striking differential because he does get a little gun shy and doesn't let his hands go. He hit is hit four times for every three that he lands. I like Cody to get his first UFC win here. I will be biting my nails the entire fight and I will probably be looking to bet the round lines instead of the money line because I do like Cody to win. But man, Dalcha is live for a knockout at any moment. I hope they set the round line at one and a half. And if they do, I will bet the over on that. So this is a really close fight, a tough fight to call. Again, let me know in the comments what you think happens here. But we got grappler versus striker, essentially. And I'm interested to see what happens. And that brings us to Trevin Jones versus Javid Bajarat. Trevin Jones, he's a fun striker with a ton of power. He throws everything with 100% and bad intentions. He's not the most technical striker, but he doesn't always need to strike him because he's also a BJJ black belt. He fell in love with his own power and he has become a striker 
as of late. Javid Bajarat is a grappler who has incredible offensive and defensive wrestling. He has absolutely no problems with the kickboxing match either, and he can be a problem in this division. If you watch his fight against Bez Koravani, he was actually winning a kickboxing match and used his constant movement to stay out of danger, and then he lunged forward in to land his own strikes. You'll see he won that fight by submission and might assume he, that he used his fantastic offensive wrestling to get it there, but he didn't. He defended takedowns, reversed those positions, and that's how he ended up on top. There is another spot where I'm sure people will be screaming about fading the Contender Series guy. And it's another spot where I say that's nonsense. Trevin Jones is a very dangerous fighter, both on his feet and on the ground. But I do like Javid to dance around, avoid the power, and get his own takedowns to control and win. But if both of my Contender Series picks on this fight lose, I promise I will stop shaming the Contender Series fade people. But... I honestly, I like Javid here. I think he's going to come in here. He's going to keep such crazy distance. If you watch his fights, he never stops moving. He's always left, right, forward, backwards. He's just always constantly moving, throwing random strikes out there, and then he'll wrestle if he needs to. And I think Trevin will be stuck chasing him and then be on the wrong side of some wrestling. So I like Javid here to win his official UFC debut. And that takes us to the weirdest fight on the card. This is such a weird I get the matchup, but it's, it's honestly tricky. We've got Guido Canetti versus Chris Motino. Guido Canetti has had a rough run as of late. He's over 40. He's lost three in a row, and he's only fought twice in the last two years. But he did look okay in his last fight against Mana Martinez. Style-wise, he's a striker who moves well, and he has nice kicks. He does not have a ton of power, but he makes up for that with volume and movement. Chris Motino, he's coming off that really bad loss to Sean O'Malley. And if there is one takeaway from that fight, it is that he is insanely tough. He was literally hit 230 times, and 177 of those were directly in his face. And he stayed in that fight. He just kept throwing back. Style-wise, he is a striker who comes forward and throws punches. It's just literally that simple. That is his style. He just marches forward, throws punches. He does not mix in a whole bunch of different striking techniques, but he does have good wrestling in his back pocket. This is a tough fight to pick, and you probably think I'm crazy for saying that, but both of these guys have highs and lows. Guido's a solid striker, but he's definitely aging out. Chris is insanely tough and can weather any storm that comes his way. But he is insanely hittable, and it's not even the Sean O'Malley stats. Even before that, if you watch our breakdown for that fight, we said that he's hittable. Neither guy has any real finishing power, so it is likely a wild stand-up brawl for 15 minutes. I would like to say that Chris can go to his wrestling to steal the rounds, but Sean O'Malley was landing whatever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to, and Chris didn't attempt one single takedown to change that fight. He was hit 230 times, and at no point did he say, maybe I should shoot a takedown here and try to mix things up. So he's just willing to get hit and willing to trade on his feet. I literally have no idea what to do with this fight. I really don't. I will lean Motino here just because of his durability. I mean, anybody who can take that kind of beating, I just kind of lean on him there. He's durable, he's young, and that's the pick. But Guido is technical, and he is experienced enough that he could dance around and win a decision. And that takes us to Drew Dober and short notice replacement Terrence McKinney. He's stepping up. I think it's 10 days or something like that. He's stepping up on short notice with a very quick turnaround. And it should be a really fun fight. And the odds makers, 
This is another interesting one. We'll talk about the odds in a second, but the odds makers are weird here. Drew Dober, he is a fun take one to give one striker. He's got nice, good power, a very good chin, and a willingness to brawl. He's technically sound, but that doesn't stop him from getting absolutely wild. He's very durable, and unless you're Islam, any fight with Drew Dober is a very tough outing. I wouldn't say he has holes on the ground, but historically speaking, the way you beat Drew Dober is you take him down. Terrence McKinney was a giant underdog against Matt Frivola. He was an underdog against Faraz Ziam two weeks ago, and he's an underdog in this fight too. And this isn't the first short notice fight for him either. When he had that Matt Frivola fight, that was short notice for him. He stepped up last minute. And he won by seven-second knockout. McKinney is long, powerful, and he likes to fight at range. But don't let those knockouts fool you because he is a Juco All-American wrestler. And if you guys don't know anything about Juco, that's junior college. And a lot of those guys are phenomenal wrestlers that could wrestle at the D1 level but didn't have the grades or for whatever reason they didn't get into the D1 schools. But he's a very, very, very good wrestler. Terrence McKinney opened up as a more than 2-1 to underdog in this fight. And I understood it. I understood it because Drew Dober is just so freaking tough and he can make any fight a war. The hype around McKinney is very real, but let's not forget that he was knocked out on the Contender Series in 2019. With that being said, Brad Riddell was able to take Drew Dober down five times to get the win. And I see more of the same here for McKinney. I think the he looks to wrestle. I think he can control from there. I do not advise him to stand and bang, even though he has had success striking. And I grabbed Terrence McKinney money line at plus 185. And if you want in on him, I suggest you do it now because that line is moving. I mentioned just two days ago, he was a, a plus 220 underdog or something like that. And now he's only plus 185. So the money is coming in on him. I'm glad I got in there early, but this will be a tough fight for sure. And that takes us to a pretty interesting matchup. This whole card is full of interesting matchups. We have Khalil Roundtree versus Carl Robertson. Khalil Roundtree is a Muay Thai striker who has a ton of power and he is very fast. He was struggling a bit to separate himself from the rest of the pack. So about two years ago, he moved to Thailand to reinvent his striking. But since then, he has only had mixed success. Khalil can knock anyone out on any day as long as he is the one dictating the pace and pressuring forward. And that's exactly what he did against Modestus Bukaskis in his last fight. The biggest issue for Khalil is he has holes on the ground and he only has a 50% takedown defense to keep it on his feet. Carl Robertson is decently well-rounded guy. He's got solid striking and a few sneaky submissions in his back pocket. The problem for him seems to be that the UFC uses him to get people nice wins or to get other people back on track. They threw him in there against Marvin Vittori. They threw him in there against Brendan Allen in back-to-back -back fights. But he is a solid fighter who is pretty well-rounded. The odds makers have this as a pick -em, and I completely agree with that. Khalil is absolutely the better raw striker. But he can be gun-shy and can be low-volume at times. Carl Robertson doesn't have the best takedowns, but at 57% accuracy, we have seen him use his wrestling to beat people like Darren Stewart and Jack Marshman, Roman Kopilov as well. So I am giving the slight edge to Roberson here because I think he can hang in the striking and there is a clear path to victory, him, victory for him with the takedowns because I think if it hits the ground... There's a pretty wide skill gap between them. And I would say the bigger skill gap between them is Roberson on the ground 
than Khalil on the feet. Khalil will be the better striker. Roberson will be the better uh, ground guy here. But again, the skill gap is wider on the ground than on the feet. So I like Roberson here, but if his lights get put out, you know, that's not the most shocking thing that ever happened because Khalil Roundtree is a very good striker. And that takes us to a surging Alex Caceres against Sadiq Youssef. Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres, is a tried and true vet. Even though he's only 33, he is having a career resurgence. His last loss was a submission to Gron Gracie in 2019. And since then, he has strung together five solid wins in a row. The level of competition in that streak hasn't been the highest. But his last win against Sengwoo Choi was a very solid win. Caceres is pretty good everywhere. His striking is solid. His durability is solid. His wrestling and grappling are better than expected. And he has a wealth of experience at this point. Sadiq Youssef is a fantastic striker with a ton of power, incredible speed, and a wide variety of his tacks. His fight against Mike Davis may be the best contender series fight of all time and he really showcased his diversity in that fight he used leg kicks well his takedown defense was on point but the most impressive thing was how well his cardio stood up he's coming off a decision loss to arnold allen where he defended three out of five takedowns but the two successful ones were the differentiator in that fight it's hard to look at bruce leroy's last five fights and still pick against him but i do think yusuf is just too powerful too fast on the feet and i think alex you know, he averages less than one takedown per fight, and I just don't see him using his wrestling to get this to the ground, and I just don't see him winning the striking exchanges. You know, he is incredibly tough. He may have moments of success here, so this may be a solid place for a plus three and a half bet. If you don't know what that is, that's basically buying one single round on the judge's scorecard. So if Bruce Leroy can win one round on his own, then he can lose the next two, and you can still hit your bet. So a 29-28 loss for Bruce Leroy, still a win for the bet. So you're buying three and a half points in the judge's scorecard. You're only going to get that if you go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. We have five partners. Bet Online is the only partner that offers that prop bet. If you want to jump in there, you want to make a deposit with any one of our partners, let me know after you do, and I'll send you 50 bucks as a thank you. But Sadiq Youssef is the pick. I do think Caceres may have some moments of success, and he may be worth that plus three and a half bet. And then we have what I think is actually the most intriguing fight on this entire card. We have two middleweight bangers. We have Alex Pajeda versus Bruno Silva, and they are going to slug it out. Bruno Silva, he hadn't fought in three years, so he had a three-year layoff because of some PED issues. But then he came back, and he strung together three incredible knockouts in 2021. His last fight was in December where he knocked out Jordan Wright in the first round. But before that, he had a come from behind KO win to save himself from losing a decision to Andrew Sanchez where he was taken down seven times. But if that showed me anything, it's that Bruno Silva has the mental and physical toughness to never be out of a fight. He is a fantastic striker. He does have solid Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. I keep talking about his knockouts, but not all of them are on his feet. He can absolutely ground and pound, and he has ground and pounded his way 
two wins in the past. Alex Pajeda is a very high-level kickboxer. He's famous for knocking out Israel Adesanya in a kickboxing match. And Alex is exactly as good of a striker as you would expect him to be. He's got great leg kicks, great body kicks, great power, and everything is well-timed and well-distanced. The big question anyone has with these high-level strikers coming over is how is the takedown defense going to hold up and how is his grappling going to be? Well, we know he's training in Connecticut with Glover, so he's definitely getting the work in. And even though Michaelitis was able to take Pajeda down twice, he popped right back up both times, and we all know he won with that incredible knockout. And this should be a really fun fight. We have two guys that will likely only look to stand. Bruno with the raw power and the MMA experience. Pajeda with the power and the kickboxing credentials. And if this was a kickboxing match with kickboxing gloves, I would say that Alex Pajeda wins this easily. But this is MMA with small gloves and the threat of takedowns. Bruno has zero takedowns in the UFC, but he does have takedowns. And if you watch his other fights before the UFC, he has used those. And I just think Bruno hits so incredibly hard. And I know we love seeing those kickboxers come over to the UFC. I personally do. But a lot of those kickboxers develop their their uh, defense technique like this. They've got those big kickboxing gloves, and this stance will protect against most of those strikes from coming through. But the four-ounce UFC gloves will not protect you the same way that those big kickboxing gloves do. And I think Bruno Silva can thread that needle and put Alex Pajeda down. So I am taking a one-unit chance on Bruno Silva at plus 165. He has looked absolutely unstoppable lately, and the reality is he's got 28 professional fights, 28 MMA fights. Alex Pajeda only has five, and one of those is a loss. I like Bruno Silva here for the upset, but that won't be the end of Alex Pajeda. He will be back. They'll give him some favorable matchups. He just, I think he just needs a little more experience. But I could absolutely be eating my words here because the dude, he's like Tung Po in the movie Kickboxer, just kicking the wall and the and everything's falling from the ceilings. He's kicking it so hard like the building's going to collapse. That's how Alex Pajeda kicks. It's going to be a really fun fight. I am siding with Bruno Silva here, but nothing will be surprising and I'm looking forward to it. Then we've got Marlon Marias taking on Song Yadong. Marlon Marias is a savage. I manage fighters. I've managed fighters for a very long time. And I had the unfortunate, I guess, pleasure at this point of matching one of my guys up against Marlon Marias in 2007 or 2011. Marlon Marias won that fight and that kicked off a five-year unbeaten streak. And Marlon Marias has phenomenal striking, very heavy leg kicks. And when he is on, he is on. He looks absolutely unbeatable. The problem is people figured out that if you pressure him and you back him up, he's a step behind. He puts so much power into everything that he literally needs to plant his feet to throw those kicks, to throw those punches. And when he plants, that's an extra second, and he ends up a second behind on every single strike. That's how Rob Font beat him to the punch and how Devishvili timed all of his takedowns. He waited for Marlon Marias to plant, and then whoop, shot in right under that. And Song Yudong, he's very young. He's only 24, but he's a good technical striker who moves well. He's fast, he hits hard, and he's athletic. But he is hittable at four significant strikes absorbed per minute. He throws everything with power, but that does leave him open for takedowns as well. He has okay submission defense, but he's very good at creating space and getting back to his feet. He does like to dictate the pace, but doing that against another high-level striker like Marias, 
may be tricky. As it sits now, Song is almost a 3-1 to one favorite on a lot of books. And I think that's a little disrespectful to Marlon Marias. I get it. He is only 1-4 in his last five. But his losses to, were to Marab Davishvili, Rob Font, Corey Sanhagen, and Henry Cejudo. All of those people also beat Song Yudong. So Song Yudong, with that exact same level of competition, has that exact same record in his last five. And my head and heart are split here. My heart is saying Marias is still the killer striker that he was when he beat Jose Aldo in 2019. And I think he can chop up Yudong's legs. But my head is saying that he needs to wrestle to win here. And that's just not something we've seen him do in the past. So... I need to go with Yadong here. I will find a way to bet on Marlon Marias. I will be rooting for him. And honestly, I may change my mind on this pick later in this week. So I'm going with Yadong literally just because of youth. And I just, man, I don't love that pick. It's razor thin. Let me know in the comments what you guys think about that fight. And that takes us to the main event of the evening we should have a fun striker versus striker main event, but Tiago Santos let us down in his last striker versus striker main event. At one point, Tiago Silva was the hardest hitting guy in the weight class, in two weight classes, frankly, at middleweight and light heavyweight, you could argue he was the hardest hitting guy. But ever since that loss to John Jones and a couple of very serious leg injuries, he just hasn't had that same power. He's still fast as hell. He still has very real power and he has absolute savage kicks. A lot of people think he beat John Jones in that fight and he did have some success and he had success with busted up knees. We watched him almost put Glover's lights out with that very same power, but then he slowed down and he lost to the more dominant grappler there. He beat Johnny Walker, but he did not look good at all. He only landed 44 strikes in 25 minutes. He seemed slow. He seemed labored in what was a pretty boring fight. But let's not forget, he is a BJJ black belt and he may need that or use that in this fight because Magomed Ankalaev is a long kickboxer who uses range well and has his own devastating kicks. He will throw kicks right up the middle, almost like that Anderson Silva uh, uh, kick against Vitor Belfort, which broke my heart. I'm a giant Vitor Belfort fan. Anyway, Ankalaev has power in both his hands and his feet. He's very versatile. And if he gets in trouble striking, he does have a wrestling backup game plan. And he averages more than one takedown per fight. He took down Ozdemir in his last fight and Nikita Krylov three times in the fight before that. If this was Tiago Santos from 2018 who knocked out Jan Blahovic, I would be all over him here, especially with a BJJ black belt as a backup. But he's 38 years old. He's starting to slow down and Ankalaev is just going to be too much here. I have Ankalaev winning. I think he does it with forward pressure, heavy kicks that manage range, and just constant takedown threats. I'm not sure we will see a stoppage here, but I do think this is going to be a pretty one-sided win. So Ankalaev is the pick, and this is a tricky card, guys. A lot of these fights are pickums, as opposed to UFC 272 where he had a bunch of big favorites. Let me know in the comments what you think of my picks, and let me know your picks. And if you want that $50 free dollars, go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. We've got five different betting partners that all offer their own bonuses. And then on top of that, we are giving you $50 as a thank you for supporting us and our partners. Wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up, make a deposit, and there's a form right there on the screen to claim your 50 bucks from us. Like, subscribe, do all the things, and join us Tuesday nights for our full card breakdowns with multiple perspectives and fantasy information. I'll see you guys then.